just one year prior to the release of this episode, on August 4th, 2021, the sixth deadliest non-nuclear explosion in history occurred in Beirut, Lebanon. At 6.08pm, almost 3,000 tons of ammonium nitrate stored in a warehouse near Beirut's port exploded after a fire broke out in the warehouse. Within seconds, 218 people were dead, 7,500 were seriously injured, and over 300,000 were left homeless. The somber attitude following the disaster quickly turned to outrage after it was revealed that the ammonium nitrate that caused the explosion had been stored in the warehouse by Lebanese authorities for the past six years without adequate safety precautions. The explosion helped to fuel the ongoing protests against the Lebanese government, which have been taking place since October of 2019. Similarly to the French Gilets Jaunes or Yellow Vest movement, these protests in Lebanon were a result of proposed tax increases on gasoline. The protests soon expanded into an attack on political corruption, a stagnant economy, and mass unemployment. When the COVID-19 pandemic hit Lebanon, it became a new source of criticism for the Lebanese government. So when the Beirut explosion took place, it was no surprise that this became yet another grievance with the Lebanese government. But there is another cause of the protests that I have neglected to mention, sectarian rule. Every nation lies on a spectrum of how much religion and government are intertwined. On one end are nations like the United States, which has a constitutionally guaranteed separation of church and state. On the other end are nations like the Vatican City, which is a theocracy that only gives citizenship to clergy members of the Catholic Church. Lebanon, meanwhile, lies in the middle of this spectrum. Lebanon has one of the most fascinating political systems in the world, and it revolves around the nation's status as easily the most religiously diverse nation in the Middle East. Roughly 60% of Lebanese are Muslims, including 31% Sunni and 28% Shia. Another 33% are Christians, including 23% Maronite Catholic and 8% Greek Orthodox. Another 6% followed the Druze religion, while the remaining 1% are a mix of Baha'is, Buddhists, Hindus, Zoroastrians, and Jews. To prevent conflict between these different religions, the National Pact was created following Lebanon's independence. Under the National Pact, the president of Lebanon, currently Michel Aoun, must always be a Maronite Catholic, while the Prime Minister, currently Hassan Diab, must always be a Sunni Muslim. In addition, the Speaker of Parliament must always be a Shia Muslim, the Deputy Speaker of Parliament must always be Greek Orthodox, and the Chief of Staff of the Armed Forces must always be Druze. Most importantly, there are set quotas for the number of the members of parliament in each religion. Although this clever system has mostly done its job, demographic changes since Lebanon's founding have led to disdain for these parliamentary quotas. In the 1970s, tensions between these groups boiled over and a 15-year civil war began. I'm going to tell you all about it right now on Historia Obscura.
Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 42nd episode of this podcast, and I'm excited for you to hear it. Special thank you to Patreon subscriber Tom. If you want to receive a shout-out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash Historia Obscura and becoming a patron. One more thing, make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura, Anchor. If you want to make your own podcast, you'll want to know everything about how to use Anchor. Similarly to other Middle Eastern nations, Lebanon's history goes back thousands of years. Lebanon has been ruled by many empires and kingdoms throughout history, way too many for me to talk about in one podcast episode, so I will try to keep it as relevant as possible to the topic at hand. In the 4th century, early Christianity was introduced to Lebanon by the Roman Empire. Saint Marin, a Catholic monk from Byzantine-controlled Syria, soon came to Lebanon to spread his religious teachings. After Marin's death, his followers established the Maronite Catholic Church. In the 7th century, the Rashidun Caliphate invaded Lebanon, bringing Islam with it. After almost 500 years of Muslim rule, Lebanon once again came under Christian rule when the Crusaders invaded in 1099 and established the Kingdom of Jerusalem. The Crusaders were driven out in 1291, and Lebanon became a Muslim protectorate once again. The final Islamic empire to rule over Lebanon was the Ottoman Empire. Around the turn of the 20th century, the Arab nationalist movement began. This movement called for unity among all predominantly Arab nations, especially against the ruling Ottoman Empire. Now, I'm going to have to be very careful with what I say here, since there's a major controversy among Lebanese people about whether to self-identify as Arabs or not. Most Lebanese Muslims choose to identify as ethnically Arab, while many Lebanese Christians consider themselves the descendants of the ancient Phoenicians. When World War I began and the Ottoman Empire joined the Central Powers, the Allied Powers decided to take advantage of this rise of Arab nationalism. In 1915, British Colonel T.E. Lawrence promised the Arabs in the Ottoman Empire, this definition included Lebanese people, that if they helped to defeat the Ottomans, the land won in the war would be used to create a united Arab state between Egypt and Persia. But unbeknownst to the Arabs, the British and French had split the formerly Ottoman land between themselves via the Sykes-Picot Agreement. Under the agreement, most of modern-day Israel, Palestine, Iraq, and Kuwait were given to the British, while Lebanon and Syria were given to the French. During World War II, following Nazi Germany's establishment of Vichy France, British and Free French troops successfully invaded Syria and Lebanon, bringing it under Free French control. After the war, on April 17, 1946, French forces withdrew from Lebanon, and it became an independent nation. Following Lebanon's independence, the aforementioned National Pact was agreed upon. 
under the original national pact, seats in the Lebanese parliament were allocated at a 6-5 to Christian-to-Muslim ratio. However, a massive demographic shift soon occurred, extremely controversial topic warning ahead. In 1947, the British Mandate for Palestine was partitioned into Israel and Palestine. A bloody war was soon fought between Israeli militia and surrounding Arab armies, resulting in an Israeli victory. A mass exodus of Palestinians soon took place, possibly voluntarily, possibly not. As many as 100,000 Palestinian refugees settled in Lebanon. As these refugees were predominantly Muslims, the Muslim population of Lebanon increased dramatically. In addition, virtually all Palestinians, whether Christian or Muslim, supported Arab nationalism and Pan-Arabism, unlike Lebanese Christians. In addition to these sectarian changes, global political affairs increased tensions. In the ongoing Cold War, most Maronites chose to align with Western nations like the United States. By contrast, Arab nationalists, including Lebanese Muslims, Druze, and both Palestinian Muslims and Christians, tended to support other Soviet-backed Arab nations. In response to growing communist sentiment in Lebanon, Maronite political leader and famous former soccer player Pierre Gamayel established the right-wing Kataib party. In the 1970s, Gamayel's son Bashir created the Lebanese Forces, a militia wing of the Kataib party. In response, various left-wing Arab nationalist groups united to form the Lebanese National Movement. Although officially a secular movement, the LNM was primarily supported by Sunni Muslims. Around the same time, the Palestinian Liberation Organization was created by Palestinian Arab nationalist Yasser Arafat. Tensions between the Lebanese forces and the PLO boiled over on April 13, 1975, when a group of PLO gunmen opened fire on a Maronite church in the predominantly Christian area of East Beirut during a family baptism. Four people were killed, including the baptized child's father, Joseph Abu Asi, and three of the bodyguards of Bashir Gamayel. An hour later, Gamayel and his followers ambushed a bus in the predominantly Muslim area of West Beirut, killing th 30 Palestinian civilians. This attack cemented the alliance between the LNM and the PLO in their opposition to the Lebanese forces. Lebanon was now embroiled in a civil war. In January of 1976, Syrian President Hafez al-Assad, the father of incumbent Syrian President Bashar al-Assad, helped to broker an armistice between the Maronites and the Palestinians. However, the Arab nationalist Assad secretly had his own plans in Lebanon. See, although the Palestinian Liberation Organization officially supported Arab nationalism, the group was known to harbor cells of the Muslim Brotherhood, an Islamic fundamentalist group that Assad saw as an obstacle to the generally secular Arab nationalist movement. On June 1, 1976, Syrian troops entered Lebanon and began fighting against the PLO alongside, oddly enough, the Lebanese forces, which, remember, is a Maronite Christian group. 
The Israeli government, meanwhile, was secretly providing weapons and military vehicles to the Lebanese forces to fight against the PLO, meaning that Israel and Syria were, oddly enough, supporting the same side in the civil war. On March 16, 1977, Kamal Jumblat, the leader of the Lebanese National Movement, which, remember, is allied with the PLO, was assassinated by a group of gunmen. It is widely believed that Rifat al-Assad, the brother of Hafez al-Assad, was responsible. Later that year, Israel went public about its support for the Lebanese forces in the civil war. Since Assad was fiercely anti-Israel, Syrian forces immediately switched sides and began supporting the PLO and LNM against the Lebanese forces. Now, let's talk about Israel's involvement in the civil war. Israel's primary objective in supporting the Lebanese forces was to weaken Palestinian militant groups like the PLO, and after the PLO killed 38 Israeli civilians in an attack on a bus near Tel Aviv in March of 1978, Israel invaded Lebanon to handle the issue themselves. Following pleas from the UN Security Council, Israeli forces withdrew from Lebanon, but not before establishing the Free Lebanon State, a puppet state designed to act as a buffer zone between Lebanon and Israel. The Free Lebanon State, which was just a 12-mile wide strip of land along the Israel-Lebanon border, was administered by the South Lebanon Army, a pro-Israel Maronite Christian militia. On June 3, 1982, three gunmen from the Abu Nidal organization, a Palestinian militant group, ambushed Israeli ambassador to the UK, Shlomo Argov. Argov survived the assassination attempt, but was left comatose for three months. Despite the fact that the ANO was actually an opponent of the PLO, Israeli Prime Minister Menachem Begin blamed the assassination attempt on the PLO. This was used as a justification for Israel to invade Lebanon again. In what was known as the 1982 Lebanon War, Israel, the Lebanese forces, and the South Lebanon Army fought against Syria and the PLO. On September 16, 1982, the Lebanese forces orchestrated the Sabra and Shatila massacre, in which as many as 3,500 Palestinian and Lebanese Muslim civilians in Beirut were killed. Due to suspicions that the perpetrators of the massacre were undercover agents of Mossad, the Israeli intelligence agency, the alliance between Israel and the Maronites collapsed. Suspicions of direct Israeli involvement in the massacre have never been proven, but the 1983 Kahan Commission found that Israeli Defense Minister and future Prime Minister Ariel Sharon was responsible, as his forces did not intervene to stop the massacre. Shortly after the Sabra and Shartila massacre, Lebanese forces leader Bashir Gamayel was assassinated by Syria-backed militiamen. This led Israel to withdraw back to the Free Lebanon State, renamed the South Lebanon Security Belt, in 1985. Back in 1982, a group of Shia Islamic clerics who had studied in Iran formed a new anti-Israel militant group called Hezbollah. Now, you might be wondering where the rest of the world is in all of this. 
while the United Nations interim force in Lebanon, led by the Irish, French, and Fijian militaries, conducted peacekeeping missions alongside the non-sectarian Lebanese armed forces, not to be confused with the Maronite Christian-controlled Lebanese forces. In April of 1983, Hezbollah bombed the United States Embassy in Beirut, killing 63 Lebanese and American employees. Six months later, Hezbollah bombed a military barracks building, killing 241 American soldiers, 58 French soldiers, and a Lebanese janitor. As a result of these attacks, American troops withdrew from Lebanon, and the U.S. government issued a travel ban to Lebanon that wouldn't be lifted until 1997. Following Bashir Gamal's assassination, essentially all Maronite militia groups ceased fighting. Most Lebanese Christians then began to throw their support behind the Lebanese armed forces led by General Michel Aoun and the UN peacekeeping force. Meanwhile, in an attempt to further expand their influence, Syria turned their attention to fighting against Palestinians and Lebanese Muslims with the support of Hezbollah. Under Prime Minister Rafiq Hariri, a Sunni Muslim known for his broad support among both Muslims and Christians, the Taif Agreement was signed in an attempt to bring an end to the civil war. This agreement changed the 6 to 5 parliamentary ratio in favor of Christians set out by the National Pact to a 1 to 1 ratio of Christians to Muslims, which remains in place to this day. The agreement also dissolved all of the sectarian militia groups, asserted the legitimacy of Michel Aoun and Rafiq Hariri's government, and stipulated that Israel and Syria were to withdraw their troops from Lebanon in the near future. However, in the near future isn't a very descriptive phrase. Because of this, it wasn't until 2000 that Israel dissolved the South Lebanon security belt and withdrew their troops. Syria, meanwhile, continued to occupy the entirety of Lebanon for decades. In 1990, Michel Aoun narrowly survived an assassination attempt by the Syrian military by seeking asylum in the French embassy in Beirut before fleeing to France. In 2005, Rafiq Hariri was assassinated by a Hezbollah truck bomb. This assassination outraged the Lebanese public due to Syria's continuing support of Hezbollah. Starting in February of 2005, over one million Lebanese protesters took part in the Cedar Revolution, a series of nonviolent protests against the Syrian government. On April 27, 2005, the Syrian military finally withdrew from Lebanon. Michel Aoun returned to Lebanon shortly afterwards, and he was elected president in 2016. The Lebanese civil war and ensuing Syrian occupation had immense consequences for the Lebanese population. In total, as many as 150,000 soldiers and civilians were killed during the war. Considering that Lebanon's pre-war population was approximately 4.5 million, it has been estimated that over 3% of the Lebanese population was killed during the war. Another 100,000, or 2% of the population, were seriously injured by the war. 
an estimated 900,000 or 20% of the population were displaced from their home during the war, another 250,000 or 6% of the population permanently emigrated to other nations, those who emigrated were primarily Maronites and other Christians. Most Lebanese immigrants went to Brazil, which today has as many as 7 million citizens of Lebanese descent. There were more Lebanese people in Brazil than in Lebanon. Former Brazilian President Michel Temer is of Lebanese Maronite descent. There are over 400,000 Lebanese Americans in the U.S. By far, the largest concentration of Lebanese Americans is in Dearborn, Michigan, which has the largest Arab-American population of any city in the nation. Other large Lebanese-American communities are found in the Bay Ridge neighborhood of Brooklyn, New York, as well as Patterson, New Jersey, although the Lebanese population in the latter has since been eclipsed by a growing population of Palestinian immigrants. Back in Lebanon, there has been a steady rebuilding process since the Civil War. Severely damaged areas of Beirut were eventually rebuilt, and the city is today one of the most popular tourist destinations in the Middle East. However, there are still thousands of landmines buried elsewhere in Lebanon, and, as demonstrated by the ongoing protests in response to the 2020 Beirut explosion, it seems that more political and sectarian strife may be waiting around the corner for Lebanon. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura. This topic was extremely confusing, so I hope I did a good job explaining it. If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at anchor.fm slash historiaobscura slash message. Feel free to leave your name and location, and if I like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. Additionally, if you want to support this podcast, Go to patreon.com slash historia obscura and become a patron. And of course, I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Anchor. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to anchor.fm. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long.